as the kids make their way out, please turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. And I will go ahead and read read through those verses and pray, and then we will get cracking right away. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. God, it is no small thing to open your word and to read it and to ask of ourselves, what are you saying to us? It's important, God, that each of us, as we come bearing your spirit, those of us who belong to you were indwelt by your spirits, important that we come in humility and ask that you would illumine this text for us, that the words that are coming out of my mouth wouldn't be just my thoughts, my understanding. They wouldn't be the musings of Mike Gorski, but that they would be the authoritative truths that you have given us in your word. This passage says some difficult things about us, God, but it gives us great hope. And I pray, God, that we would find you in it, that we would see your great mercy and grace and kindness toward us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you that by his blood we can boldly approach you and we can open your word and read with understanding because of your Holy Spirit that is within us. Please bless this time to your honor, God, to your glory. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the movie The Princess Bride. Maybe I'm the only one. Um, To me, that would be inconceivable that you wouldn't know what that is. But when uh, after um, 
Wesley has been tortured, right? He's in the, the, the pit of despair. <clears throat> the pit of despair. Excuse me. He's, t- he's taken and he's just left. He's dead, right? That's how they see him as dead. And so you have um, Inigo and um, I can't remember Andre the Giant's character's name. They take him to somebody called Miracle Max, right? And Miracle Max is played by Billy Crystal, and he is hilarious. And so they take him, and he's, he's grabbing Wesley's arm. He lifts it up and drops it down, and he, he looks, by all counts, he looks dead. And Miracle Max says, Ah, oh, your friend, he's not dead. He's just mostly dead. So there's hope that they can kind of fan into flame the life that is already in Wesley. That little bit is left. And they even use like the thing that you stoke the fire. They fill him up with air, right? And he says to blathe, which means to bluff. No, he says true love. That's what he has to live for. The reason why I bring that up is so often when we talk about Christians, when we talk about ourselves, when we talk about um, any person of any age, of any culture, in any place or time coming to Jesus Christ, sometimes we think of them as being only mostly dead. We think we go and we would maybe share the gospel differently to a person who is a seemingly upright, moral banker in a suit or something. I don't know. I'm trying to think of stereotypes here, right? We may share the gospel differently to that person. I'll use Abe's here. I'll say a Boy Scout, right? Because Boy Scouts are supposed to be. And Eagle Scouts, above all, right? Are supposed to be ethical, moral examples. And we may share the gospel with somebody like that in terms of them being mostly dead. But if we were on the the streets of New York and or Chicago and we see an addict, you know, laying on the ground half awake, we would definitely preach the gospel to them as if they were dead. We wouldn't have any problem with that, right? Because it would be so obvious that they're dead. Look at them wasting away their lives there on the streets. Drugs, addiction, whatever that may be. But one of the marks of a disciple, as we have been looking at that, especially this past week, and it's important because as we think as a church, how are we going to make disciples to fulfill Christ's command to um, go and make disciples of all peoples? We have to understand how you become a disciple. And we have to recognize that every single person is born into this world not a disciple of Christ. Every single person is born with their physical life in this world spiritually dead. Not spiritually mostly dead. Spiritually all the way dead. So that's what we're going to see in this passage here. 
Paul is going to give us the really hard news, right? It's going to sound awful. I'm, I'm going to be a real bummer for the next, like, ten minutes as we go through these first couple verses. But he's laying the groundwork for the great grace and mercy that comes to people who are not mostly dead, but all dead. Mostly dead people think they're just sick and they need some medicine. All dead people have no hope outside of God. That's what Paul is going to try to set us up. So the first thing that we see here, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now this you, he's writing to a church in Ephesus that is largely, and if, if you're familiar with the New Testament, there was early on this kind of, um, there was some arguing over how Jewish does the church need to be? Because, you know, Christ's 12 disciples, they were Jewish. Christ was Jewish. And you had people afterward who were saying, in order to be part of the church of God, saved through Jesus Christ, you have to become Jewish. Now here, Paul is talking to a place that is not, he's not in Jerusalem, he's not in a very Jewish place. He's talking to a church that would be very much Roman. And so he's saying you, Gentiles is the way that the New Testament often puts it, people who are not Jewish, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, when we see that he's saying you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, this is not just a, you, did a, you did some bad things. When he's saying you walked in these sins, he's saying this is a lifestyle. This is something that you are doing, not just every once in a while, but every day. It's part of who you are. So you walked in them. He, he goes on to describe it further, and he says, in which um, you, the trespass and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. So these are people who have um, a lifestyle of sin influence, right? And there are three different ways that Paul has just told us that they are sinful, First way is just kind of who you are. The way that you live is sinful. I'll call it sinfluence. Itself, it's original sin. You were born with it. You were born that way, walking in transgressions and sins. And secondly, he said that um, you are following the course of this world. So not only are you influenced by your own fallen sinful condition as you are brought into this world, but also there are cultural influences outside of you that are leading you to sin more. Sin is in here, right? Definitely. And it's also out there. Did the Romans worship Jesus Christ? No. So they would have had this culture that was telling them, ooh, you know what? Um, you are having fertility problems, you need to go to this goddess and make an offering so that 
perhaps you won't have fertility problems anymore. You're having problems with this part of your life. You need to go to this temple and hope that the gods can fix it. That is sin from out there that is coming and influencing the, the people in Ephesus. And lastly, that they're um, not just influenced in sin through their own transgressions and sin, but through the world and its influence, its culture, but also there's a demonic, a satanic influence. Does the devil love life? Is he the prince of life? No, he's the prince of lies. He goes about like a roaring lion looking for whom he may destroy. Okay? Does this, this is not, Paul is not painting a very nice picture. I mean, he is painting with broad black strokes to describe the human condition. People who are dead in their transgressions and sins, and they're getting influenced by just being born, who they are. They're being influenced by their dead culture that doesn't worship God. And they're being influenced by spiritual powers that are pulling them away from God. It's like you're going from death to death to death. He goes on, he describes that... um, this, this power of the air, the spirit in verse 2, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, right? This is another way where he's painting with broad strokes. This is a very Hebrew way of putting things, right? So if it says child of something, son of something, you're basically saying it's cut from the same mold. Would you like it if I came up to you and said, um, you know what? You are cut from the same mold of disobedience. Everything that you do fits into the mold of disobedience. It's who you are. This is what Paul is saying. This spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, in case you are doubting whether or not Paul is describing the state of a non-Jewish person at this time, all you have to do is put yourself in his place and look around. When you look at the world, do you see evidence of this? Right In the Roman world, absolutely, right? Now, for our day today, I can look around at the world, and I'm in the same place as this you, Ephesian, non-Jewish, Gentile um, people, And I can look around and I can see these three influences in our world. World events, definitely. Okay, I can see that happening in the world. How Satan, when I look at just North Korea, the country, isn't that amazing that that is still there? Isn't there something demonic about how this family can oppress and torture and do the most disgusting things there is something inhuman about that. That's pr- I see that as proof of what Paul is saying. Cultural influences. There are so many things happening in the world that are going against life. Things that give life, right? Um, with the, the Planned Parenthood 
videos that came out and um, it's brought to light um, just certain, uh, just really terrible, abominable things that our government is is funding, right? And um, it's evidence of our culture saying we don't care about all life, right? And that gets put on people who speak against it as, oh, you don't care about women's health, but we're saying, no, we care about women's health. We just think that life is important, you know? Um, But that's sin is out there. It's influencing the world. We just have to look out to see demonic activity, to see cultural activity. And I need to look no further than opening my eyes in the morning and seeing that my sin influence is coming from in me. Jesus said, it's not what comes from outside that defiles, but it's what comes out of the heart. Now, as Paul continues, it would be, I would love for, you know, and especially if I was Jewish, I would love for him to continue and say, you Gentile Christians, But this sin influence is not just for non-Jewish people who didn't have the Torah, the Old Testament instruction. It's for everybody. He says, this um, spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. And he as he describes it, he says, you were dead. You guys But we are all dead. Every single one of us in the church who claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we walked in those same sins and transgressions. This is how he describes it. This spiritual death manifests itself in living, in verse 3, in the passions of our flesh. And as if it's not clear enough there, he says, carrying out the desires of the flesh and the mind, right? This is the, um, this, these terms for flesh and mind, he's saying the whole person is dead in sin. It's not that your brain still works so that, okay, my body has sinful desires, but if I just think rightly about things, I'll be able to fix my, myself, I can reason my way into a right relationship with God out of this spiritual death. It's impossible. Your mind is corrupt. Your heart's corrupt. Your flesh is corrupt. He sums it up saying, Among whom we all once lived our lifestyle in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature... Children of wrath. This is the same Hebrew type of saying. Cut from the mold of people who deserve wrath. Every single person. Like the rest of mankind. Every one of us. I can say with confidence in this room. Whether you are redeemed. Bought back from sin and death by Christ's blood. Or you are not. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. 
you weren't mostly dead. You were all dead. All of you were dead, and you were all the way dead. I was dead in my sin. I thought of Romans chapter 5, verse 12, where Paul says it this way. He says that Adam was our representative, right? He was the first man, and sin entered into the world through Adam. When he sinned, sin spread, he says, to all men, and death spread through sin. Every single person from the first person in the world all the way till now is born in this state of spiritual death. Now, that's not a pretty picture. It's pretty grim, right? I don't like it. I don't like to think about it. It makes me look bad, right? Because I don't have the excuse of waking up in the morning, like I said, getting out of bed and saying, Noah, get your clothes on. Noah, get your clothes on. Noah, get your clothes on. Noah, get... You know. I can't say, oh, I've just, I haven't woken up. I haven't had my coffee yet. Um, so it's not me. It's not spiritual death. It's, that's, it's not the effects of being a sinner. It's the effects of not being caffeinated. I can't say it because I read these verses and I know the truth. I know that I am no different from this picture that he is talking about. It's not pretty. It's not pretty at all. But up to this point, these have sort of just been kind of statements without a lot of force, right? It kind of feels like something is missing, like there's no real subject to them. It's, it's, a, it's a hard way to put it. Um, but he brings the main actor in, onto the stage here. And Paul says, after saying in verse 3, um, that among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God. Those are the two most beautiful words, I think, in the entire Bible, right? Dead. Grimmest picture you can imagine, but God. I can't wait to hear what he has to say. Now, in the verse, the, the verses that follow, if you take out the, the details, this is basically how it reads. So, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God made us alive, right? We're going from death to life. God made us alive and raised us up with him in verse 6, and seated us with him. So that's the force of what Paul is going to say, is that you were dead. He's made that absolutely clear. None of us can dispute that. You were dead, but God made us alive. He raised us up with Christ, and he seated us with Christ. Now we're going to put, as Paul does, we're going to fill in and put some flesh on those bones. But this is exactly, he's explaining exactly what he had told them in the verses previous to this passage that he was praying that they would know and understand. If you look at chapter 1, 
Um, his prayer starts, his thanksgiving and prayer starts in chapter 1, verse 15. But if you look at verse, 118, um, verse 18 of chapter 1, he's, he asks that um, they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. He's praying for them to understand and know what this power is. And how does he describe it? This, his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So now he's describing what he just prayed that they would know and understand. He's describing you were dead, just the way that Christ was dead in the grave. I mean, 100% dead. The Roman executioners knew what they were doing. Jesus, dead in the grave, he was raised from the dead, and he was seated at the right hand of God, seated in the heavenly places. And this is exactly the way that Paul says that we, we were dead, God made us alive, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. That same power that took Christ from the grave to life to glory is the same power that can take each sinner, the rest of mankind, every single person who has ever been born and raise them to life. Take them from that grim picture of death to life to Glory. You, Ephesians, were dead like Jesus Christ was dead. We all, he includes himself in that, were dead. In Memorial Baptist Church, we were dead. Praise God for his power to raise us from death to life. Now, what would motivate God to do that? That's where the meat comes and kind of we've, we've got the bones of God made us alive, raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly places with Christ. Why would God do that? What motivation would he have? Well, let's look at what it says. But God, in verse four, being rich in mercy. Continuing. Because of the great love with which he loved us. He did it in spite of our dirt, right? When we were, even when we were dead in our trespasses, that is when God was rich in mercy toward us. That is when God, because of his great love, raised us from death to life. And he saved us. By grace. Grace is commonly described as um, unmerited favor. You get something good that you don't deserve. You didn't do anything to earn it. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Isn't that amazing? We've seen... Paul talking about all people are dead in their sins, us included. We were before we 
before we knew Him, if, if we belonged to Him. And we've gone from death to life. That is pretty amazing, if you ask me. There's something about that that it, it speaks of God's character. Does God want the world to be in death? No. Does he look at cultural influences, demonic influences, and, and say, oh, well, you know, I guess it's the best that I could do. It's okay. No. He hates it. He's patiently enduring. Right? He's waiting. He's, he's calling all men everywhere to repent and be saved while they still can, while it's still called today, like the writer of Hebrews says. He is loving, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He said to those who were weary with sin, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. From death to life. And when he takes somebody from death to life through believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, he makes them a disciple. Okay? Every single person who believes in Jesus is a disciple of Christ. That means that when we obey Christ's command to go and make disciples of all nations, we are calling people from death to life. Right? Not mostly dead people. We're going to talk a little bit about the implications of that. But all dead people to say, in the name of Christ Jesus, get up, right? Not in like a charismatic preacher way with snakes and stuff, but through, through the preaching of the gospel, through evidencing our own trans, transformation from death to life. Now, that's the good news, right? That we've seen the bad news, I guess we could put it in that way, of we're all dead and through and through corrupt and guilty, but... God has um, made us alive together with Christ, and he's raised us and seated us in the heavenly places with him. And I have to ask myself, why? Okay? And I always ask myself this question. I say, okay, there's the what in a passage that I'm reading. It's like, what does it say? And then there's the so what. That's what I always ask. I say, Paul, so what? Why should I care? Um, and I think there are some clues in here that will help us to understand, like Pastor Jeremy said last week, that to be a disciple of Christ is learning to be Christ-centered and God-centered in every part of your life, in everything you do, everything you think, everything you say. And I think we can see that from death to life to glory. We see it in Jesus, right, as he's ascended into heaven. And we see that in our being, going from death to life, to being raised and seated with him in the heavenly places. And we see it also in, just read in these verses, how God-centered they are. Okay? Even the things that have to do with us, 
are God doing it. It's God's action. It's God's, um, it's his mercy. It's his love. It's him that makes us alive. It's God who raises us. It's God who seats us together with him in the heavenly places. And the point is that you were dead. You were doing nothing to contribute to your life. And God made you alive. Okay? So now that you're alive, why would you think that it would be any different? Why would you think that to be a disciple of Christ, you get to decide your own way? That you get to say, okay, God, I'm going to say you're important on Sunday from 9 to 11.45. And um, in between Sunday to Sunday, I'll do my own thing. Okay? I'll spend my money the way I want. I will spend my time the way I want. I'll treat my wife and kids or my friends or my family or I'll drive however I want. If you need, if you want to learn about sin and the widespreadness of sin, you just listen to Wayne talk about driving. You, he's got all kinds of horror stories and he's very transparent about wanting to get places quickly. Um, get if. If it wasn't for the restraining power of God, wow, get out of the way. I can kid with Wayne because he Wayne would tell you he's a sinner. Wayne would tell you that he was dead in his transgressions and sins. He's not ashamed of that fact. Um, but this isn't just thankfulness. It's not just gratitude where you were dead, now God makes you alive, and all that he requires of you is to say, Thanks, God. Wow, I don't get to go to hell now. Um, my son Noah, he was asking about, well, am I a Christian? Do I know Jesus? And um, I said, well, what, are you a Christian, buddy? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? And he said, yes. I said, well, why do you believe that? He said, I don't want to go to hell. Okay, this is more than that. God is concerned with more than just people not going to hell. He didn't save you for you. He saved you for him with a purpose. And that's where we're going to see it as he says in verse 6 that we have been raised up with him and he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that. Okay? So we see that we have gone, Christ has taken us, God has taken us from death to life and we see that he is raised us up, the same power that raised Christ up from the grave and has caused him to ascend to the right hand of the Father. We are there also if we believe in Jesus. But this so that is very important. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now this word show, it means to display. Okay? So the purpose of us being raised with Christ and seated with Christ is to display the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So now he's talking in this verse about the coming ages. Right? Now imagine this in terms of heaven sort of as this trophy room. Okay? In the Old Testament, kings, when they would conquer other kings, in like Judges chapter 1 and other, other places where we read about one king conquering another king, they would do things like 
Um, they would do gross things like keep people's heads, you know, as kind of like a trophy. They would cut off people's thumbs and toes so they wouldn't be able to draw a bow. And as they're having a big feast or something, a king could say, bring me king so-and-so. And the king could come out and they'd say, tell me the story. Tell all my guests about how I whooped you in battle and I conquered you alive. And now you just live with me to talk about how weak you are. Okay? This is a, this is a trophy, a living trophy for these kings. Well, that's what we are for Christ. We have been saved. We have been raised up and seated with him in the heavenly places so that we can testify to his goodness toward us. So I can say, I was dead. Hallelujah. Right? Amazing grace. I was blind, but now I see. I was walking in this sin. And guess what? Jesus Christ pulled me out of it. Dead in my, tre- my trespasses, my transgressions and sins. And yet God brought me to life. That is why God saved us. So that we will display that in the ages to come. In heaven, we're going to be talking about Jesus still. Right? We're going to be doing other stuff too, I think. But we are going to be saying, praise God, right? We have a God, a Savior who was mighty to save, and he saved me mightily. Now also, that's not just for the coming ages, that's also for right now, right? Because again, if, um, if God has saved us um, for himself, it's God-centered, and how it all comes to pass from death to life, we ask the question, why would it be any different now? And we can ask the question as well, if he has saved me with a purpose, he's brought me to life, he's raised me up and seated me in the heavenly places with him to testify to his immeasurable goodness, the riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, why would it be any different now? Okay? And my heart has been heavy in my own life, in the life of our church to a degree, and in the state of the church in America in general. Right? I'm speaking in broad, just broad terms, generalizations, um, because I don't feel like I do that. Now, to a degree, I do. right? But is my life so saturated with Jesus Christ bringing me from death to life, that it, it shows how that happened, right? Is, is my life showing people that Jesus Christ, that God has poured out um, in us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us? Does it say that God being rich in mercy pulled me from death to life? Does it say that I was a child of wrath and now I am a child of God? Does it say, like Colossians says, that we were in the domain of darkness and God pulled us out of the darkness to the, the reign, the kingdom of his son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins? I don't know that it does. Okay? Not to the extent that I would like, um, that's, that's been convicting to me, 
Okay? When I look at our church and I think, okay, we're, we're talking a lot about disciple-making, discipleship. These are like buzzwords, right, that we love to throw around. Um, Gospel-centered, discipleship. It sounds like we're day-trading or something like that. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> there's a purpose to it, okay? It's easy to get distracted from why God saved us, why He raised us, and why He seated us with Christ, Right? He did that so that we would testify to the, the, the riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, as we think about what we're doing in our church, we need to be constantly realigning. Okay? Now, I've, I read a book where this guy said that even in their small groups, every year they do a, a kind of a, a plan for the year, what they're going to do. And they always reassess, are we on mission? Are we doing what we're supposed to do? Okay. Has, has God told us in these verses that um, we are supposed to have lots and lots of programs that will keep us happy and busy during the week? No. He said he saved us to testify to his grace and goodness. Everything else isn't compulsory. It's just kind of extra. So, as, as we continue into this year, 2016, as a church, we need to be evaluating as a congregation, as individuals, right? For each one of your lives, God didn't save you to live in a bubble. He saved you to make disciples. He made you a disciple to make more disciples. That looks different for different people with different gifts. That looks... Um, Maybe we need to group up to do it, whatever. But um, that is, that's the purpose of why God has us here today. He would save us so that we would be able to participate in telling people God is rich in mercy, rich in love, rich in kindness towards you. And he demonstrated that fact that while you were enemies, you were dead in sin, children of wrath, sons of disobedience, he died for you. So our lives should be ordered around that truth, right? If we're saved, death to life, raised and seated with Christ, it's to be Christ-centered now. That's what we're going to do forever, so we might as well get started now. Now, when I think about how to kind of put this into practice, it's, it's hard because it's there, right? I mean, it's in the heavenly places. It just feels abstract just in the language. But I thought about it in these terms. All of life is God's. Okay? When the, the sinful woman in Luke 7, she came to the, the, um, the, the house and she started to weep and um, wash Jesus' hair with her tears. And people said, wow, if Jesus was a prophet, he would know who it is that is doing this to him. And Jesus said... Um, the one who has been forgiven much, loves much. So she had gone from death to life, and she responded in the natural way, right? To align her life with what Jesus Christ wanted. So we should do the same. Okay? In the details of our lives, one question I thought to ask um, that I need to do a better job is, um, what does God want me to do with this? 
Okay? You all know that I love photography. You see me with my camera out all the time. I see pictures on Facebook and stuff. And, and Valerie makes it clear. She makes it super clear. When we agreed to get the camera, we said this is going to serve God's kingdom. Okay? And through that, I've been able to use it to bless people in our church. I've been able to use it to bless people outside of our church. But we asked ourselves, okay, we're going to make this purchase, this spendy purchase. Why? Right? We're going to use it for Christ. In our plans, right? Your vacation. I know Gordy and Sue um, take vacation, and they go serve, and they do some work for a Bible camp in Wyoming, right? Now, it's hard to know what the motivation is there because I'm from Wyoming, and I know why you would want to go there. It's beautiful, right? Dells there are like anthills. There are real mountains there. No. But the point is, can you say with Paul in Philippians, he says this, for I, um, starting in chapter 1, verse 20, um, I will not be at all ashamed with full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. He's writing from prison, not knowing if he's going to be you know, killed or let go. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He knew, right? As long as I'm here on earth, I'm going to work for Jesus Christ. To die would be to give me the very thing that I'm working, working toward. It'd be to be in that heavenly trophy room. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, notice he didn't say, wow, I long to be with Christ, but man, I got my boat and it's almost summer and I love fishing, right? He said, I long to depart and be with Christ, but for your sake, the church in Philippi, I want to stay and work to strengthen you, right? His, his life was all about God's mission. He says at the, in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, um, Brothers, I do not consider I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is a man who his life was fixed on God's purposes. He knew that he had been taken from death to life. He knew that when he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, thought he was serving God, and he said, all that filthy rags, just trash, doesn't count for anything compared to they're being resurrected with Christ and knowing Christ. So the way that I, I, I put it, um, 
you know, all of life is God's, and we should live so that all of life is God's, every detail, every plan. And we can ask ourselves the question, um, in terms of our church, Jeremy went through last week the why, getting back to the why of disciple-making, right? Getting back to the why of Christ's commands to make disciples of all nations. And that includes our teaching here. That's part of, you know, baptizing them, teaching them, all that I've commanded you. <clears throat> that involves going far away. That involves giving. It involves a lot of different things. But the question we can ask ourselves as individuals here is, is that why the Great Commission, is that my why? Is that why I exist? Okay? If you belong to Jesus Christ, that is why you exist. Now, whether or not you are living in line with that is another question. But God loves for his people to repent and come to him because he's not going to hang it over their head and say, wow, it's been like 10 years of you not doing the why. You think I'm going to use you now? No way. God loves it. You are already accepted if you have been forgiven. Your sins have already been covered by Jesus' blood. Repentance is not a hang-your-head-low thing. Repentance is, I'm coming to you as I am, God. Wash me. Cleanse me. I'm yours. Okay? That's all of life. And lastly, as, as you just go home today, I want you to meditate on the grim part. Okay? Now, I know that sounds odd to say, now I want you to go home and beat yourself up. Okay? We're going to turn into a Puritan church. You're going to be in little boxes next week, and you're going to have to pay to have a space for your family, right? And you're just going to beat yourself and say, I'm so terrible, God. I'm a worm. But when you see everything that God has saved you from, you appreciate his life. And you're willing, your life just changes in, in conjunction with that. So even if you were saved at four years old, okay, what did we see about that grim part? Were little kids mostly dead? Or were they all dead in their sin? They were all dead. Okay? All dead. Nobody is born into this world innocent. They're born into this world lying, cheating, stealing. You know, that sounds, sounds so odd for us, right? But we're not looking at it through the Bible's lens. So look back and see. God, what did you save me from? How can I see evidence of the fact that you called me from death to life? Okay, Because there will be fruit. If you're saved, you won't be able to just say, Oh, well, um, I guess I started to take church more seriously, maybe, at some time. No. You're dead and you're alive, right? Think about the crippled people that were healed by Jesus. What did they do? They jumped up. Some of them Jesus had to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. My time isn't here yet for that, right? Just go make, go offer your offerings to the temple for purification, you know. But that is what we've experienced. Every, if every single person has been dead in their transgressions and sins, and every Christian has been brought to life, then we have that same thing in common. Whether you're 4 years old, 10 years old, 30 years old, 
50 years old, 80 years old, when you converted, everybody has that same testimony of darkness to light, death to life. Now, one last little um, little encouragement before we pray and we, we finish with a song is this. Let's talk about this, okay? Um, one of the things that, as, as Pastor Jeremy and I have talked about, wow, should we add all this extra stuff about, you know, why, how, what, into sermons and things like that is um, we don't have a chance to talk about these things outside of Sunday morning, okay? Our, our pancakes and prayer aren't super well attended. We've only had one. I wasn't even there, right? No, but, but our monthly prayer meetings before, um, even our quarterly and annual meetings aren't the most well attended, right? They're not like the Super Bowl of NBC or anything. Um, but let's, let's talk about this, right? If you're in conversations with one another during the week, this afternoon, over lunch, whatever, let's ask each other, you know, is the why your why? How is your life contributing to making disciples? How's your family's life doing that? How is our church doing that? Start talking to one another. Is there any area in my life that I need to repent of and say, God, I've been holding this from you. Um, one, of the th- one of the things I read recently is somebody who loved hospitality, but they also felt like when they were hospitable, people had to come into a, a, an impeccably clean and organized house. And that meant that they were not as hospitable as they thought they were. And they realized, wow, hospitable means um, calling people into my normal life sometimes so that maybe there are toys on the ground and stuff. We were able to show Kayla Martin that yesterday. We ate with chunks of cardboard and stuff from the kids doing crafts. Okay. All right. We've got, we're going to talk about something, right? This is, a good, this is a good example for us. But let's talk about it, right? Let's spur one another on to love and good works. That's why we're here to hear this message is because God has called us from death to life. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, this is how Paul, he kind of sums a lot of that up in Galatians chapter 2. He says this. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, right? This is the same flesh that was, we were driven by the passions of the flesh. Um, The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is my story. This is my song. Jesus Christ saved us took us from death to life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that um, even in passages that are difficult, even in passages that don't make us look good, either as sinners before we are followers of Christ, or even um, your disciples after who are not walking in the the ways that you have prepared for us, there's hope. 
because your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your kindness never changes. We are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you prepared beforehand. I pray for power, God. I pray for conviction from your spirit. And I pray for a, a, a general spirit of um, fraternity. As we say, we are in this together, brothers and sisters in Christ, to try to show the world, to manifest how Jesus called us from darkness to light, from death to life. We are here to testify to your goodness, God. We are here because we don't deserve it, and you poured out your mercy and grace on us. And I ask, God, that our hearts would overflow with that, and our mouths would overflow with it as we tell the world what an amazing Savior Jesus Christ is. What an amazing, loving, good holy and true God it was that, that proved how much he loved the world, that he sent his only son to die for our sins and prepare a way for us to come to you. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might, be, that we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I pray that we'd walk in the power of the Spirit as we go forth today. In Jesus' name, amen.